Another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here with Francis Murphy. Francis Murphy. We're back. Captain's Log Project. Right. Episode or film number eight. Plus zero. Yep. Uh, sure. So, this film, uh, Star Trek Eight: First Contact. Yep. Fran, you can uh, you can kind of set us up here. What's what's going on with this film? Okay, well, what's quite interesting about this is that it's almost like a Star Trek V, not in the sense of it being bad, but in the sense of it being a kind of a, a it's a, a clean slate movie. So you've had generations where you've seen the passing of the torch from the original series cast to the new cast, and now this film is all about the next generation cast, and it's a story about them. Next gen. Yep. So you've you've seen some of the next generation cast, so they're not going to be completely alien to you in this movie. Um, obviously, you've not seen the seven years of TV before, which everybody else would have seen. Yeah, so, this is weird uh, for me, isn't it? Yeah, but then again, they're no more alien to you than the original series cast were when you watched Star Trek mm. Two. So this is this is their version of Star Trek Two in a sense, except that it's also got that idea that it's now it's a film about them and it's this new crew um, in the movie hot seat, so to speak. Now. What's also interesting is this film deals with the Borg, who are an enemy that was introduced in the TV show. You do get a bit of backstory as to why, who they are, what it's all about. It's very brief, but you don't really need to know a lot, to be honest. It's basically, it's like, it's weird. It came out the same year as Independence Day, and it's almost got a little bit of that feel to it. I want to say, was that 96 or 97? 96, yeah. 96. So... There's almost a disaster movie feel to this at certain points. Mm. The Borg are like a disaster. Okay. Massive invasion from this alien force that are, you know, probably 10,000 years ahead of the Federation in tech. Do you know what I mean? Tell me Jeff Goldblum's in this. I wish I wish I could say he was. Um, mm. He might cameo as a Borg, but you have to look closely and see. All right, then. Although I do know that there is someone from a, a famous rock band who cameos as a Borg in this, but I don't know. Fred Durst? <laughs> James Hetfield? Unfortunately, no. I wish I could remember who it was. Oh, you don't even know? Uh, well, I was told years ago, but <laughs> I can't remember. I'm sure I could look it up, but, <laughs> you know, even when it comes to Star Trek, I can't remember the names of people from bands. Do you know what I mean? Even if it's relevant to Star Trek, so that shows who. It'll be Sting or something. It's just some unknown guy. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or me and Mark from Hypertension. Oh, anytime you try and get that mentioned. I know. I may just cut it. Nobody looked that up. Right. See, that's his way of trying to get you to listen to his stuff. No, it's not. It was It was meant to be funny because who would know who we were 10 years before we started? So, this film, like Next Generation. So, we left off um, the last film, the, the Next Generation film. Yeah. Generations. Yeah. Right. Uh, where, obviously, they were, this is our Next Generation cast, were introduced and obviously mingling with the 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 previous cast Shatner and the like this is their film uh, is this an ensemble piece would you say or does it focus on say Picard I'd say there's a focus maybe on Picard and Data more so than anyone else but everyone gets you'll see that everybody gets a 
it's, it is far more an ensemble piece than any of the original series films would have been. Mm-hmm. Especially for what is effectively an action film. Because it's, it's The Voyage Home was an ensemble piece because it was quite a comedic movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a, a straight up kind of action flick, really. Um, and everybody still gets a bit of a shot. In fact, they even bring back some um, side characters from the Next Generation TV show as well that maybe only starred on a couple of episodes. They're still part of the crew, which is kind of cool. And uh, when was the last film before this out? Uh, 1994. Right, so it's just a two-year gap then. Bear right, in okay. mind, the Enterprise was destroyed in the last film, so you've got a new Enterprise as well. How many times has the Enterprise been destroyed? Well, the Enterprise as a ship has been around in Star Trek as that name for probably, at this point, for about 200 years. Mm, so I suppose so, the odds of it getting destroyed now and then are relatively... Yeah, well, I mean, the, up there. the first Enterprise... I don't know how long that lasted for, but I don't think it was wrecked. I think it was put in a museum. And then this, the next one lasted about probably 60 years mm. 50 60 years that's then. not bad yeah your warranty's probably gone at that point yeah well definitely especially when it comes to starfleet warranties because they don't have any money in starfleet <laughs> but um you know literally as is explained in this film for the first time ever i think there is no such thing as money in the federation society so yeah but um what's the incentive for anyone doing anything well humanity's supposed to have evolved past that that need at this point, where they, they're just doing things because they, they either that's their choice. They want to, ha- you want to be a Starfleet captain. That's your passion. You want to be an artist. You want you can do whatever you want. That's a crazy world. Well, from our perspective, certainly. <laughs> um, but I mean, if if we could wake up tomorrow and never starve and never have to worry about a bill, then you could just do what you wanted all the time. You we'd find your passion. We'd find something new to worry about. Probably uh, it's in our nature. Well, I think that... would find another reason to fight with people. But I think that's why Star Trek's still interesting to watch, is because they do. <laughs> yeah. They do have things... To, well, there's external forces, I suppose. You've got Can, you've got God, you've got the Borg. Um, I just had to casually list God there. Yeah. Um, what is God need with a starship? Uh, one of my favourite lines. All right. Uh, okay, so do we know, at this point, is it still... Um, goldsmith that's doing the soundtrack yes and this is one of his better ones i have to say i mean he's done solid you've work. described him before as the word you use solid or workmanlike quality yeah um does the job that that type of thing yeah um but at the same time not pushing it out there in terms of epic memorable scores this might be one of what well, some of his best work potentially yes uh, particularly the in fact the whole thing is he really I don't know how he's done this, but he's came out with a really good, quite emotive soundtrack. A soundtrack, sorry. Um, okay. In this film. Looking forward to listening out for it. The soundtrack is always something I, I always like to, to sort of really focus on at times. I just, I just some really great soundtracks, they can they, they stay with you yeah. as much as some of the imagery in films. So this one is one, this is probably the, well, Star Trek Six and this one, I'd say are my two favourites in terms of having a, a theme that I quite like. And I think what was quite brave about this one was that it goes very much away from the Star Trek theme. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, the the theme at the start is it's a, it's quite a poignant theme. Do we know the director for this film? I haven't spoken uh, to the director. Jonathan Frakes. Right. Who and... plays Commander Riker. Oh, all right, okay. So so this is his debut. This is him um, doing his, uh, his, what, Shatner or Leonard Nimoy type? Well, Jonathan Frakes actually studied the craft of directing 
the whole way through his time on Next Generation. Oh, did he direct a lot of the series then? Well, he did a few episodes, I think. I think right. he certainly did a few episodes. And then he's done some some work over the, the course of other Star Trek series as well. Right. So... So yeah, so he's so he's not like a, a first time director, but I think it's I think this might have been his first big movie, but he's done a very good job on it. And this film within the sort of did this film was it a success commercially and and the sort of critically? Uh yes, this film did quite well. So that, like it we, was seen as like yeah. the second best Star Trek film when it came out, right? Which I think it still kind of is. In some ways, it's certainly the best of the Next Generation movies. There's no doubt about it. Right, okay. So we're up against one of the best ones within that era of films. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, yeah, certainly, I feel like we've covered most of the themes within you know what we can discuss before getting into the film. I'm looking forward to seeing the treatment for the Borg. Again, It's a, that's something I have no... I've not watched any Star Trek films, I don't think, with the Borg in it or any episodes. So this is all new to me. I just know there's a big cube. Well, let, let me give you a little bit of context here. So in Star Trek The Next Generation, the Federation is pushing out far further than, than it did during the original series into parts of space that they've obviously never been. And towards the very start of The Next Generation, well, in the first episode, they meet a, a, an omnipotent being, omnipotent, sorry, being called Q who um, they could be gadgets <laughs> well you know it's funny that actually um i never actually thought of that correlation between q from bond and q and star trek because they're just such different characters but for a second there, i was completely thrown i was like gadgets <laughs> but um basically q says to the enterprise crew at one point he says look you know i think it's a line like you know, if you go further than this into space, there are wonders that would just blow your mind and terrors that will freeze your soul kind of thing. Obviously implying that the Federation's about to reach the space of species like the Borg and things that are far beyond the capabilities of the Federation to deal with. And Picard's quite arrogant and says, well, we can deal with that. And then Q sends them out there ahead another thousand light years and they, fi- they find their first Borg cube. And that thing nearly runs them to death, basically. And there's no stopping it. And then there's an, another couple of run-ins with the Borg during the series as well. But Starfleet is outclassed, outgunned. Um, in the second encounter with the Borg in the series, Starfleet loses almost all of its ships in one monumental battle against one Borg ship. Okay, so not to mess with these guys. Yeah, and it's you know it's quite bravely treated, I would say, in the the series and in the lore, in the sense that. You don't often get an enemy that can just wipe the floor with your not only the protagonist's ship and crew, but all of human civilization and the neighboring species as well, completely. So it is interesting to see how they're treated in this film, but you get to know a bit more about what's working behind the Borg, what's going on there, what they are. Okay, excellent. I think that's us then. We're ready to go. I'm going to put my pizza on and put the film on. Yeah, let's 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 get this going. Sounds like a plan, mate. All right, back soon. Adwa. Well, well, well. That is us now. Watched Star Trek Eight: First Contact. Uh, yeah, this was a pretty, pretty damn good film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my comment was that it's probably the. 
the best of the next generation movies? I can imagine so. Considering I have seen Generations, thought it was decent, mm-hmm. and have seen Nemesis years ago, and thought again it was decent, but I also didn't know anything about Star Trek when I first watched it. Yeah. Um. So yes, this is shaping up to probably be the the best. It certainly feels like a mid nineties film. Mm-hmm. This is a departure, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the pacing, my god. <laughs> yeah. Is is incredible it's a blink and you'll miss it there are lots of lots of you know that first 20 minutes yeah is is just like, there's so much happens in that first 20 minutes picard's kind of flashback dream what is it, is it a dream he's having yeah well it's like a dream within a dream so he, he dreams about being assimilated by the borg back in the tv show and then he wakes from that and then he goes to the mirror and he dreams he's got something coming out of his face like a, a bit of borg technology and then he wakes up again to the message but it's like as you were saying it's a bit similar to alien isn't it? oh it, it, aliens. aliens the beginning of aliens with ripley having this sort of flashback or dream i suppose because uh, it didn't actually happen but imagining she's been impregnated mm-hmm. and then it coming out and then instantly being woken up within the sort of spaceship hospital by a video yeah. uh, message from from Burke, I think it was. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it was. It was um, it, I, I liked, I appreciated that kind of callback, yeah. uh, or not callback, that sort of little subtle reference there. It had a few moments where you felt there was a like a an homage to aliens. Uh, um, well, that and I, I think. The interior design sometimes of the ships and things, maybe a wee bit. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Frakes, who directed it, I think sat down and thought, probably watched things like Alien, Aliens, Terminator 1 and 2, um, various probably horror movies about zombies and things like that. There's things that he's watched and thought to himself, Star Trek needs a bit of that edge to it for this film, because, um, and I did make this point when we were watching the movie, uh, that... The only thing that's different about this is that the story the story is a horror story. Well, it's a disaster story alongside a horror story in the sense of what's happening to them on the ship, with the Borg invading the ship, um, with the fleet being destroyed and all this kind of stuff. What's interesting is that you take those characters, you take the setting, and you add the right story, and Star Trek could be a comedy, a horror movie, an action movie, a thoughtful human exploration film. Do you know what I mean? It can it can be any one of these things, and I think you'd made a comment that maybe Star Wars could learn a, a little bit from that in terms of maybe di- offering a different genre movie in the set. Yeah, I think there's some genres that Star Wars could tap into. Um, horror probably is is the the best example. Um, I could totally imagine a sort of uh, a nightmarish scenario on board some vessel, mm-hmm. you know, stranded in space with some horrific being and you know it's loosely tied in the star wars universe there could be some it could be you know new characters and things like that but maybe there's something that ties it into so that it makes sense even if you just know that it's there it could be a a bunch of stormtroopers who investigate in a ship that's put a distress Mm. call or something exactly and it's one contained little story of these stormtroopers finding themselves up against something some horrendous hideous being um is a good word hideous yeah that's 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 the new name of the podcast actually that's it yeah hideous yeah um yeah so i mean the other genres comedy uh, i think 
that may be a stretch. I think Star Star Wars fans have shown there is a they can be quite toxic with the type of if they don't like changes and and and, and like a lot of it solo, right, right, solo yeah. is quite funny. I mean, they like wisecracks and things yeah. Like there's that. a but then going full comedy like Will Ferrell comedy in the Star oh, Wars yeah. universe. Can you imagine that? No, but that wouldn't work in Star Trek either. I think the only reason it worked in Star Trek Four was because it's almost like a Shaun of the Dead sort of situation. The reason Shaun of the Dead is funny isn't because it's slapstick. It's funny because it's a bunch of normal people dealing with a, a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Average people with mm-hmm. normal 9-to-5 jobs who drink at the pub. Mm-hmm. They're not gun-toting Americans out, you know, ready to survive. And the thing with Star Trek Four is that it's fish out of water. You, you know... Let's say that it was Star Trek Four was set in the twenty third century, and they just decided to make it really funny. It wouldn't be funny, but it has to be. Let's say, for example, well, you couldn't do it with Star Wars because you couldn't have a time travel to Earth story in Star Wars. No, you can't really do fish out of water in Star Wars. It would just be uh, characters that are outrageous and over the top, trying to be you know funny. Yeah, and it would it wouldn't work. So. It, that's essentially what we're saying. We're saying this this film and Star Trek has been better at mingling and 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 sort of dipping into other genre. And uh-huh. horror is is always one of the better ones to dip into. And and this has an element of that. So you were surprised by the Borg, weren't you? I had you... no idea what to expect with the Borg. Uh, you'd give me some heads up, and you was a big cube involved at some point. Yeah. Um, they are an interesting kind of cybernetic necromanced yeah. sort of beings but all controlled by like a hive mind uh-huh. um, which I liked certainly some great great stuff and I'm assuming this was all next generation created there was no none of the Borg in the Star Trek original series no well that, that's the thing is that the, the Federation had never got further far enough out in space to have ever encountered any of these creatures and what's interesting about about where the borg sit in star trek lore is that the borg are an example of the federation's hubris really in the sense that the federation has always been the federation was lucky in that it it existed in a spot where they had maybe some of the best planets and best resources the empires around them were never really going to be able to dominate them one-on-one um local space was fairly safe really but later on in Star Trek, as the Federation expands or explores further, they, they're they caught un, unawares and also unprepared for the the um, technological ability of some of the species that have been developing outside of their knowledge, which is quite interesting from a lore perspective. Star Wars kind of teased that in, with the Yuuzhan Vong in the books, who came from outside the galaxy and decimated everything, wrecked the galaxy and all that kind of thing. Um, it's a pity that wasn't what they did with the new trilogy because it would have been incredible because in the books the Imperial Remnant actually joins with the Republic, New Republic to fight these creatures mm-hmm. and that would have been fascinating like to see. your enemy is yeah. our enemy type thing enemy of my enemy enemy yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like that doesn't make any sense well, it's the same thing yeah. yeah but yeah yeah. there's so many things that I wish the Star Wars films had been from reading some of the older books, you know, yeah. in your mind, these things, these great stories and great characters have kind of disappeared. But, um, yeah, so that's something then that, that the, sort of the film has taken on then? Well, I think so. I mean, I think the film, 
the the job of the movie was to basically create a kind of a horror movie action movie scenario with the the comedy stuff maybe the the light-hearted stuff on the planet yeah like the second act toward the the latter half the second act more third act there's some element of is that kind of it's calms down a bit yeah the the humor picks up as i'd say the film does change a little i mean by its third act again it certainly ratchets up when in that conclusion with the borg but it does feel like the first half is where most of that intensity and horror then again sets. you do have that scene with Picard and Lily arguing in the room oh well of intensity yeah a yeah. great dialogue scene um, just from an, a powerhouse acting performance and, Stewart, yeah. and well both I think she gives yeah. she gives oh, you yeah, know definitely. she stands she stands her ground and, and, and really commands the scene just as much as he does which is although the she, actor the as actor, actress, whatever you want to say these days, you can call. I think women are called actors now as well. We'll call her actress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but she she's more known for that than Patrick Stewart. Is she? Uh-huh. So I didn't even catch her name. Do we know I her name? I think it's Alfre Woodard or something like right, that. Okay. But she's she's. Been, I've seen her in lots of different movies. She was in Capex as well. But she's 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 been in been in a few quite intense scenes like that whereas Patrick Stewart as Picard has always been very measured and quite so it's well, surprising that's what I mean by that it's surprising to see Captain Picard as a character lose his cool like it, was, it was a great scene it was one of those moments where you kind of if your attention wavered that film that, that moment brought you back yeah Um, I really liked that scene I was um, kind of really going at it and I mean Picard so this is the you know obviously I got to see a good bit of him uh, in generations but this is you know this was a an even better chance to see what you know Picard in, in the in the role and I mean I think Patrick Stewart is is great mm-hmm. you can see why he's been cast he just has this presence about him that is so yeah. commanding but also you can you know sympathetic and empathetic as well um very different to Kirk yes exactly well he has no hair yeah, yeah. Well, neither does Kirk, really. Um, William Shatner's baldy. He was a wig. Well, the whole time. Yeah. See, what I thought that years ago, and then when I seen the films, and I realised, oh, he's actually got really good hair. Oh, maybe I, in my my memory of him being kind of like, because his hair's that quite thin in the in the original series. Yeah. Was that his real hair? And it was boosted a bit by some wiggage going on. Oh. He's definitely, um, I don't know, he's obviously, his, his disposable income for buying wigs has gone up over the years. <laughs> so he's got got better. But it's, yeah, I mean, the thing with, what I find interesting about seeing Kirk and then Picard is that you're getting to see a little bit of variety in the type of people that obviously apply for and are successful in becoming captains of starships. They're not, they don't all have to be like Kirk. Picard is a completely different style. To Kirk, mm-hmm. you know he's not the same kind of guy at all by any stretch. Um, and throughout the seven years of the next generation, you see a, a captain who's quite measured, diplomatic, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in this, in this movie, you get to see I think the the trauma that Picard went through by being assimilated by the Borg before that maybe he hadn't expressed. But in that contained scenario where you can't get off the ship, you can't call for support from Starfleet, there's nothing you can do. It, he's, the back's against the wall. You get to see this obsessive revenge starting to come out. 
which is it's interesting that they I always like it when a movie gives the leading man or the leading lady uh, a flaw, a big flaw to deal with and having to listen to someone else and it gets to the point where Picard almost falls out with Worf, doesn't he? Worf, you know, he calls Worf a coward on the bridge because yeah. Worf's trying to give him good advice and he won't listen to him. Yeah. And these are, you know, these are people that have known each other at this point for seven or eight years. Worf has been... Res- Picard has been Worf's respected commanding officer for all that time and to see that conflict is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And it also showed Picard can admit when he is wrong. Yeah. When the later scene, when he, you know, calls him over and apologizes, uh-huh. um, uh, good respect uh, from both characters. I think that was a good scene, and I like that about Picard's character. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was that was some good some good stuff in this film. We we're talking earlier about the pacing of this film. This is a fast paced film. Mm-hmm. This throws a lot of concepts at you straight away. You know, the Borg, boom. Time travel, boom. Starfleet destroyed. Starfleet destroyed. Uh, this is just like, yo, pay attention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, you know, I think what they were trying to do as well was they were, you know, they knew that there was going to be an audience coming in who just wanted to sit down with their popcorn and fucking enjoy the movie. And really they can, because you sit down and you watch that. It's a visual feast mm-hmm. from the start. I think this was... um accessible I'm not sure if is the word because there is things where I'm asking you maybe that's just to flesh things out in my own mm-hmm. understanding you probably could still have enjoyed it and got most of what you needed from the film without watching it Bearing but it certainly is you would have seen the next entertaining as a phenomenon that maybe we if you weren't watching it at the time I mean you know your parents watched it on the telly my parents everybody was watching The Next Generation mm. at the time even if it was just a little bit and you would have picked these things up see that episode where Picard got assimilated by the Borg that was the end that was the cliffhanger and then the, the next season obviously started with the resolution to that that was that's something that if you go onto Reddit or you go online people still talk about that that was it was almost like Game of Thrones style stuff back then. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it was the Next Generation had become the most popular TV show in the world by that point. It was the biggest thing, and it was the biggest production values, best special effects. You know, it was it. That's why they were able to to enter a movie series because the audience was there. The thing is, though, that Star Trek. Oversaturated. That's why Insurrection, the next film in Nemesis, and the stuff that followed maybe wasn't quite so successful. Deep Space Nine as a series is very, very good. That's something we'll talk about another time, I guess. But you're, when you're watching Star Trek First Contact, you're watching a confident franchise that's at the absolute zenith of its popularity with an audience who, who even down to like your e granny and whoever, would have seen or heard of what had happened. Do you know what I mean? So they would have... But then again, it's also accessible in the sense that it doesn't give you... It almost doesn't give you time. I suppose not, no. It's it's like there's an element of it doesn't talk down to the audience Mm -hmm. because it's just like, yeah, you're with with us. You are following this story. Yep, here we are. Time travel. Yeah, you got that? Good. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's just like... Still with us, right? Cool. Uh, let's move on. You know, it's it, it's you know brazen, but it's I like it. You know, it was it was fun. It was a fun ride. You yeah. know, especially that that first half. It slows down maybe a little towards the end, but um, you know, not 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 uh, not against the film. Yeah. Um, 
really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, it's a set piece movie, so you've got your opening battle. You've got the, as you say, they go back in time. Then you've got the 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 slow build up of getting Cochrane ready to launch the ship. That's a set piece that takes takes place. You've got the battle on the surface of the ship and the exterior set piece. You've, mm-hmm. You know, you've got sort of zero gravity uh-huh. kind of slow fight almost or yeah. l- lack of fight um, trying to avoid a fight an interesting scene yeah tension there mm-hmm. and, and you know you've the big set piece at the end where the the borg controlled enterprise is about to destroy the chances of humanity meeting the vulcans and and becoming a spacefaring civilization and turns it or they turn it around just in the last few seconds it's probably good actually that we're not going to, into too much detail because there may be people who haven't seen this. Well, this we're, we're is not this Star is... Trek Two. Do you know what I mean? This isn't one of those top ten lists of films to see. Well, but I should have put a disclaimer. This is a spoiler special. Well, so yeah, but this at is same, at the same time. I kind of even though I, I, we should talk about details, and we are talking about details. But yeah. there's probably actually with all of the podcasts, we've left a few things that people could could be surprised by. Do you know what I mean? Probably not intentionally. Yeah, exactly. But I do think this is one that I would estimate there's less people seen this than have seen Wrath of Khan, I would imagine. Because as iconic as Picard and Riker and and Data and all them were to a certain generation, they're not. Kirk and Spock and McCoy are eternal icons. They will always be. They've entered that sort of almost Mickey Mouse zone of being a just something that people know about forever yeah i don't think Riker and jordan quite have that same jordy jordy there you go (laughs) what did i say jordan (laughs) yeah that's that's an example of well yeah what i'm what i'm about to say is that they don't quite they don't have the same iconic kind of status that those original crew members yeah Garnered, uh, Picard maybe you could imagine probably his image the imagery of Picard is quite. You well, know. he's a Shakespearean actor who mm-hmm. who who, um, is it Ian McKellen, Gandalf? Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to make sure I got the name right because I, I had like a brain problem there. Like I was thinking, I know the name's correct, but it feels wrong for some reason. But they they acted together in all different Shakespeare plays, so Picard's from that pedigree. Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, not Picard. Patrick Stewart is, is. Yeah, I was thinking that's where were you going with Ian McKellen there. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, but yeah, okay, yeah. What's the play we've seen a video, a film of? I think he's in. He played as a King Lear. I think so. Um, or was it Hamlet he was in? Oh, I can't remember. It's one of them we saw in school, but it was one of the old Shakespeare, Royal Shakespeare Company mm-hmm. type things that mm-hmm. you know you used to get in the sixties, seventies, and eighties that they would have really basic sets didn't they but the the acting was incredible mm-hmm. but patrick stewart is one of those legendary actors and that's probably why the new series picard is coming out with him as the obviously the lead man again after such a long time i think maybe that will help to i'm trying to think of the right word for it iconize i don't know if that's if that's even a word but perhaps the next generation will get that with it being revisited so long after and having Patrick Stewart reprise the role, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it'll, what's fascinating actually is like I still don't know the the, the, the doctor's name. The Crusher. <laughs> no, Crusher. in fact, the counselor, Troy. 
Right. Yeah. So these, they, it's two films now, and I'm still not remembering these names. Well, they don't. That's the thing is that they don't really say the name much. Yeah, maybe it's the television series you would watch and yeah. get that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, but it would be unfair for either of us to to think that they're. But no, it's not a slight on the performances or anything yeah. like that, or even the writing, because if it's not necessary for having everyone to be like forcefully introduced mm-hmm. kind of it wouldn't seem quite right it's like if the characters are having to strike up a conversation and say each other's names all the time exactly it would be a bit false wouldn't it so i get that you're meant to kind of follow on their story from the t- television series and the other film yeah so that's fair enough well that's it i mean seven years of seeing someone on tv for characters who did get whole episodes that were far more into them mm-hmm. into their backstory than the original series cast ever got people would have kind of known yeah so it's it this is one of the biggest challenges with star trek to be honest is how do you watch it how do you watch star trek do you start with the original series and then do the movies do you start with enterprise then the original series then the original series movies uh, then tng then their movies um well obviously do you do it? we've we've adopted the films as the yeah. entry point um personally i normally go with just chronological chronological order of how things were released just to give you an idea of where you know we've got to a certain point but you have to have witnessed the first thing really to understand from the audience's point of view of you know what it was like because there was prior knowledge because something had came before it yeah so normally that's how i approach things i like but i also am a bit of a completionist with things i like to have seen an entire thing and i don't like the idea of just you know, going into the film six, if um, if I really care about trying to to get into it, but obviously sometimes you know you do. Like the Avengers films, I've talked about them before. The first film I, film I watched was the original Avengers film, yeah. not the Iron Man, which was the the original Avengers film. I think was film five or six in this continued story, <laughs> but that was my entry point, and then led me on. So. It yeah. can be interesting to watch something midway and then go back. Yeah, and see the that, yeah, stuff. true. If you're introduced that way, that's there's nothing it's like wrong. A treat, with it. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because you get to see that you're like, oh, what were they doing seven years before? The only thing I would definitely disagree on um, is Star Wars. If you watch the prequels first, now I understand young children were probably introduced, and that's just how it is. That's their original films, and mm-hmm. that's a shame. But. Um, a new hope is the entry point for Star Wars, basically. I think. Or, well, I was any of those films, but that trilogy at least should be the first films they watched. Yeah. They, you know, legitimized cinema and made it a huge event. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blockbuster was created and stuff. And that's just seeing that that and is is important enough. Um, so yeah. That's one of the but yeah okay so star I suppose Star Wars watching the next generation I've heard is a good way to Star Trek sorry to uh, to get into it yeah I mean I think, I it's, think it's modern that, enough and well it is I mean the, the thing effects is, are a bit better than say the original sixties show from if you were to watch it in twenty nineteen well let's say you were watching the Star Trek the original series now you'd be watching it for the characters more than anything else mm. to see what they were doing when they were fifteen years younger. And it is interesting. We saw some of the YouTube clips of what, what it was like. It is interesting. Oh, that was interesting, yeah. You get McCoy and Spock rubbing each other. And it made me want to watch them, actually. If I had the time, yeah. I would. And then the next generation itself has aged incredibly well. The next generation is a fantastic seven-year or seven-season program. 
Uh, it has some bad episodes, but on the whole, it is just a fantastic Moorish program. I've heard just from other people I've spoken to that by the third series is when they really find their groove. Yeah. Well, it reaches its peak season three to four. There's some good in season five and some good in six, season seven. But three, season three and four are the pinnacle mm-hmm. because they're, yeah, they're at the, the the peak there. But then again, it's kind of like that with everything. Everything kind of has a curve, doesn't it, where the middle part is... I would say you've just described the series, the Red Dwarf, the first seven yeah. series, where... Three, four, five, and six are all red dwarf at its pinnacle, but it yeah. really finds its groove by series three. Four is my favourite, but you, five and six are amazing, and then it dips by seven. Yeah, well, there comes a point where they run out of energy a bit, don't they? With anything, though, there's a you know, it's it's interesting how these how these programs are, or you know, some of them can last for years and be perfect almost all the way through. It's weird, but um, I'm trying to think about Star Trek as a whole, um. I've always had a big soft spot for the series Deep Space Nine, right? Now, Deep Space Nine starts around about season um, five of The Next Generation and finishes probably around about when Insurrection is out in the cinema in terms of a timeline, so it's seven years. Worf's on it for a big part of it. He joins it in season four, I think it is. But Deep Space Nine is set in The Next Generation universe they wear the uniforms that they do in the movies because it's in the same timeline, so you see them start out with those coloured ones and then go to the grey throughout the series. Exactly perfect with continuity. Um, Deep Space Nine is interesting because it's a, it's about the Federation entering into the biggest interstellar war in its entire history with another race called the Dominion that is similar to the Borg in the sense that they're a power that has not been encountered yet. But the the war between the Dominion and the Federation is some of the best Star Trek there is. Um, you're talking fleets of ships going against each other. It almost becomes Star Wars like. Um, there's a couple of episodes with ground battles and you know proper, almost war story type stuff. But again, it's it's Star Trek's strength that it's able to take. A setting and, a, and characters and world, a world that's been built, and then flip the genre. Hmm. Yeah. To, you know, to horror, to comedy, to war. Let's let's have a war for four years, mm-hmm. where where people are dying and Starfleet is becoming more warlike. No, this kind of stuff is interesting. Uh, and is that show held as one of the, the the good ones then? Well, I remember at the time. Um, reading sci-fi magazines and things like that and even some of the more mainstream magazines and the, the you know season four five six and seven of deep space nine were lauded as being some of the best tv there was at the time um and um ilm and i think a couple of smaller companies were very heavily involved in doing the special effects for for the war section of that and it was groundbreaking at the time i mean it was so it, it, I will actually, after this, I'll show you a little scene from Deep Space Nine um, of one of the battles. You can get an idea of how you're seeing stuff from a setting. You'll see ships that look like the Enterprise and other ships you've seen. You'll recognise it, but you won't... That's the thing that gives it a bit of power, is when you see stuff you recognise and it's in a completely different scenario, or it's up to the end here, but it's quite interesting. But again, first contact's like that in the sense that you see a gigantic Borg cube blasting down 
into the Sol system and Starfleet coming up against it. You saw more ships in that sequence than you've probably ever seen mm. in any of Star Trek yet. Alright, we'll uh, come back to Thingway in a second. Just one last question on this. Um, I mean, There's, what, two other shows at, around that time? Was there Enterprise? Was that one? That wasn't out yet. That came out in, I think it was 2001 or something like that. But And then um, Voyager as well. well. Voyager and Deep Space Nine were both out while First Contact was out in the cinema. Right. First of all, why didn't any of those shows get a film? <laughs> well, I think because... I suppose it doesn't have to be that way, but it's... Captain Janeway from Voyager appears in Nemesis. So there's some slight crossover, and Worf, obviously, in The Defiant, appears in, from Deep Space Nine, appears in First Contact. Mm. So there is... There's touch, it touches upon that, but what's uh, what I think it is is that the movies were for the Enterprise. Mm. Yeah, the casual cinema gore. People only knew Star that. Star Trek, the yeah. Enterprise, all that kind of thing. Star Trek on a space station with other characters, like, you know, you're not going to know. No. So I reckon that was what it was. And I reckon also Deep Space Nine and Voyager closed off their stories in a way that that the next generation hadn't done. Oh, okay. Because if you're on a starship and you're just exploding... I mean, Deep Space Nine was about the war and, and Voyager was about that ship trying to get home from being lost in space, basically. So when those ended, they ended the, the narrative. Anything after that would have been a breakup of the crew and what did they do next? And mm-hmm. It's not like they're still on the ship and they're still... Plus, I think it's just, as you say, the marketing a, a story to people who have a vague knowledge of Star Trek. See the Enterprise and it's new yeah. adventure. Yeah. Kind of thing. If you go up to someone and say, we've got Star Trek 12 or whatever... Deep Space Nine station with Captain Cisco, they'd be like, huh? Yeah. What yeah. is that? I mean, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people would, would maybe not go and see it because they just, I'm trying to think of an example, like say, ugh, I don't know. I don't know. There must be other examples of stuff where, where we have it marketed to us because we have a vague awareness of it. But there's other stuff that's just too much effort. Where oh, I don't want to see that because... Well, don't to be honest, you wonder... Now, I think there's a difference here. I always bring up the MCU, but it's a great example of them taking crazy risks on franchises, which, by all intents and purposes, shouldn't be franchises, or you would not have thought would be franchises years ago. The Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, yeah. Black Panther. Now, it's great that those films have all hit, but 20 years ago, you would never have imagined that those would be films, especially The Guardians. Well, you had things like your Fantastic Four mm. flops, didn't you? They've so tried. Yeah, that's right. They're the other ones that they've not got it right, I suppose. But what I'm saying is the studio, I think there was momentum with the MCU that they could take that risk, whereas the Star Trek films probably haven't had that. And they are yeah. thinking, you know, they need it to be a success and they need certain factors to be included to, to make that success and not having the Enterprise and a recognisable cast and crew for the general audience, casual gore is probably the main thing. But yeah, yeah, like the MCU has shown if you have a great story and market it well enough and take characters that are un- complete unknowns to almost everyone, um, it can still work, but... I suppose it's all about who's making it and who's... Well, I like to think that... I mean, I'm not the world's biggest fan of massive conglomerates like Disney and all that. Like, I mean, they, they can make make mistakes. 
there's a certain manipulative quality to your giant conglomerates because they just want to make money. Put that to the side. I would say CBS and Paramount, who have dealt with Star Trek over the years, are a bit cowardly and a bit scared of taking risks. Hmm. Or they are a few steps behind what is in the current fashion. So, for the moment, retro is kind of cool. Things being faithful to continuity is cool. They screw that up with Discovery and they try and modernise it. That's about five or ten years out of date. That's what people used to do. Now it's all about bringing things bringing things faithfully to the screen. That is quite in, in vogue at the moment. Do you know what I mean? People love continuity and they love tie-ins and they love things looking right. That's why the Marvel Universe is so popular right now because it does have great visual continuity. So I'd say Disney is more on the they're more on the money with that hmm. at the moment. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, that's to drop the ball on other areas, but then again, you're never going to get it right all the time, are you? No, exactly. And, and at the end of the day, I'm just glad that we have at least the choice to go and see something new that's set in a world that we are interested in. You exactly, know? exactly. You don't have to go, but it's there if you want to do it. If you want to go and see it, you can read the reviews and see what you think. Exactly. Right, well, uh, let's actually get back to the film that this podcast was kind of meant to be about. I know, we always do this. Oh, well, it's fine to have a tangent, but this tangent lasted about 20 minutes. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we've talked about, you know, the kind of the pacing of the film, great acting performances, the sort of ensemble, relatively ensemble nature, but it was mostly a Picard-focused film with a little bit more of Riker and Geordi. Data as well. Oh, Data. Yeah, I forget about Data. Yeah, Data's an interesting one in this film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, his emotion ship, he can now turn it off mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and then he's got his temptation, hasn't he, with the Borg Queen? Which actually just reminded me there of one of the other great scenes I loved. Again, it was the start and it was the sort of part of the, the sort of the urgency that the film had, but it was that scene. And I actually wish they'd maybe slowed it down for this uh, because it was, it again, reminded me of Aliens, them sort of tr- uh, kind of slowly moving through the ship uh, looking for the the Borg wasn't it? Yeah, um, and you know they've all got their guns, they're loaded up, they're they're ready to go. And it, again, it felt very much like that was the Marines uh, on uh, on the alien planet. Um, I like that. I actually kind of wish that they had taken a bit more time with it and really amped up the horror element yeah. of it. There certainly was the horror there, but I think it could have been even. Even if they'd all kind of paired off and it was essentially just turned into aliens, but it would have been yeah. cool. I thought it would have been great. Well, that's, that's <clears> the classic <throat> thing about aliens as well, isn't it? Is that what you had there was a set piece where an attack goes wrong, people start getting killed. Mm. You know, aliens. Yeah, it would have been uh, an obvious homage, but I still yeah. would have been totally for it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, aliens had it more slow. And had it more up the ante towards the end because you saw the cameras, didn't you? And everybody screaming. Yes, that's yep. Whereas you did see Picard execute a guy who was being assimilated, so that was that was quite strong. Uh, yeah, that was some. They didn't mind Picard had been rescued from the Borg, mm-hmm. so that's Picard's hatred of the Borg so strong that he, he basically summarily executes a crew member who's lying on the ground. It's quite asking a, for help. Yeah, that's the thing. He the crew the, the the crew member is shouting, "Help me! Help me!" Uh-huh. And Picard, you know, sees what effect it's having on him in terms of he's turning, knows what you know what's going to happen, and essentially he's going to become an enemy. And sees you know just to execute him, but without 
any any moments sort of hesitation yeah it's uh it's quite quite unusual i would say like yeah uh, and then in the holodeck he guns down people who were part of his crew who were assimilated mm, yeah you know so where do you stand with picard on that that's the question because we're looking at a man who got assimilated and was rescued oh right yeah true killing people yeah for being borg mm. right? so i think that's talking about his hatred more than anything else he's blinded completely he just hates the borg you know and, and that Lily says to him, that's one of you. Oh, is it more that, and it's just more about survival? If he doesn't do that, they're going to get him? Well, partly, maybe it's fear, it's, revenge, Yeah, it's a bit, all of it. I think you could just say it's about hatred. I think it's surely down to, well, me or you, well, I'm a good shot, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting that he's, he doesn't hesitate. Hmm. Yeah, like it's because he knows what a nightmare it is as well. Maybe. I think it's that, and it also plays into his character in terms of he is well, he's a he's a commander. He makes decisions. He is a yeah. fast decision maker, clearly, and he, you know, obviously has to delegate at times like that. But at those moments where it light night, uh, kind of life or death scenarios, he he will get the job done. Yeah, I mean, Interesting. Lily did comment on it in that argument though, where she says, you know. You didn't even try to save that ensign. Mm-hmm. I like that. I really because it did feel like when I watched it, I was like, oh wow! And yeah. it's good that the film, you know, she was able to call it out and uh-huh. question, question that. Yeah, and I think that's what was needed. And she said, you know, I think the main point is that anybody could have respected Picard taking those actions if maybe he'd at least tried mm. a bit. Yeah, because he came, he essentially came off as quite cold blooded. Yeah. I mean, I think if you make an attempt to save someone, like, that's the difference between, like, say there's an accident and it's a risky situation and you can save somebody. If you try and fail, that's a big difference to just watching and walking away. Because mm-hmm. one's cowardly, yeah. self-serving, and one of them is quite rational. Like, say, say there was a fire or something and you just couldn't get to somebody and you knew you would be killed in the process. What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But you go at least look, <laughs> at least at least give it a shot. I know, and it, that's the difference. I think you mm-hmm. know you've got to try. I mean, doctors make these choices. Doctors do triage, so you get to be patients. They've got to pick the one with the biggest chance of survival. It's cold, but these decisions have to be made. But you've at least considered it. What do we make of the sort of main villain? Uh, you know, sort of the hive, the bird queen. Bird queen. I actually think they could have done without her. Oh, okay. Right, now, I think she played the role brilliantly. Interestingly enough, I actually met her with your brother. Um, alongside What's her name? Alice Kriege. But she was at the convention where we met um, Chris Barry. Oh, yeah. In fact, they were sitting beside each other. The Borg Queen and Rimmer sitting there together. <laughs> now, there's a film. Yeah, yeah. Rimmer would love the Borg Queen. <laughs> trying to assimilate him. But, uh, yeah, so... You know, she played it well, and she actually reprises it in Voyager as well, interestingly enough. So she comes back. She's not ever really dead. But I think the Borg were scarier before they gave them a face like that. Mm. I think they were scarier when they were just this monolithic voice that would just, you know, the, the sound of a thousand minds or something like that, that were all rigidly, almost in a totalitarian marching along, you know. Actually, yeah, you got a point there. Because I think by her en- entrance in the film, I suppose my the mystery of the Borg the was, was, and the fear was certainly, yeah, a little, a little lessened. I would say. 
Yeah, and there is the sense of the, the sort of, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I think the idea of a, a queen bee or a queen insect makes a bit of sense when you've got a hive. I mean, it does make sense, but I think the Borg would have been better served being mysterious, like you've said. Being a mystery, where Picard had to get to the centre and destroy some core, some thing. Nobody really, they didn't know what it was, but this was where the power was coming from or something like that. Um, I mean, from the writer's perspective, they obviously feel that the film needs a villain, and villain usually has to have a human humanoid face yeah i, I mean it's normally it can work especially if you've got a charismatic villain yeah um i mean she was great don't get me wrong i know that's the thing like i do think her look was cool i thought she had a great look and um nothing about her performance i thought it was i suppose but you're right the actual presence of her her itself did weaken that the kind of mystery and yeah slight and it did that to the horror forever from that point Ah, right. Whereas up to that point, so this was the first reveal of the, this whole concept of the, the the element of the Borg in terms of it's the hive. I think it was controller. Of, I think it was mentioned in in the TV show a couple of times as a theory. How are they controlled? What, what is it? Do you know what I mean? But um, I think I think she was maybe a little bit too human. In the sense that she got angry and upset and possessive and jealous and all these. Oh, well, there was things. definitely some sexual yeah tension going on and probably like you know that was intentional. But yeah. then again, that goes against this idea of well, I don't know, was she seducing them? Well, Wasn't she, that she wanted the codes? Yeah. So she was doing almost like what James Bond would do. Yeah. Like she basically like, hey, Gordon, can you hear this? Mm. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I've actually done the reverse. I've brought James Bond into a Star Trek yep, podcast. there we go. Star Trek, James Bond, <laughs> The world can now explode. Never say never again, as you say. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I liked the Borg before. I'm one for what you can't see is more scary than what you can. Resident Evil 2, remember the bit with the liquor coming past the window? Mm. And, or the, its head has been twisted off. That You know, you find a corpse. What did this? Mm. It's scarier before you see it. That is terrifying simply because you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the fear of the unknown is the deepest and oldest fear. And the Borg were always like that. You never really knew why they were doing what they were doing. They just were an unstoppable, relentless force that just wanted to assimilate humanity. Why? What What? What are they after? What do they want? They won't stop. I mean, zombie hordes are a bit like that in movies as well. They're just crowds just coming against you. There's no reason. I think somehow as well was that um, they were a little less scary when you see them just doddering about and not doing anything to the characters and letting them just roam around. I think there'd be some... I mean, I get the the justification for the story of you know why and stuff like that but they were always like that i know is that maybe that's that's it then it's just a character trait but they just don't care i mean the initially more... they just seemed like proper terminator style like that was my first yeah you know vi- visual of them and it just felt like these unkillable terminator st- types you know yeah so that was that was kind of like intriguing and yeah you capture their imagination, but then suddenly they're just roaming around picking up boxes and things, and yeah, and it's like, all right, okay, we just walk around these past these guys. Well, they, I think that's the whole idea of fear. There is that the Borg are so contemptuous 
of most intruders that they don't actually even notice them or see them mm. as a threat at all because we're so meaningless to them. Yeah, okay, I like that. Right. That they're killing you because you're an irritation. It's almost like cells in your body going for something that, like, you have all these bacteria going around your body, but, like, as soon as it causes a problem, your body will act on it. There's lots of things wandering through our bodies all the time mm-hmm. that maybe cause no problem at all, but they're probably, that's what the, the humans are meant to be like. They're basically wandering through the veins of this Borg, whatever it is. Fascinating. I like that. Yeah. And the Borg are programmed or instinct, whatever they've got. As soon as that's why Picard has to fire at the wall, and the Borg suddenly then they're coming on mass at that mm-hmm. point. You know, I remember when he was going to the holodeck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that's maybe a, a thing that was foreshadowed more in the TV show, where Riker at one point is on a Borg cube and comments on that as they're going by. He says, "Why are they not paying attention?" And it's like, "Well, they, we mean nothing to them, obviously." Mm-hmm. So that's obviously something then I would have. I mean, there was a line in the there was a there was a line in the TV show where Picard is about to get assimilated, and he's standing on this thing ahead of this big chasm of inside the Borg ship, and the Borg voice is saying to him, "You will be assimilated. You will speak for the collective." Blah blah blah. And Picard says, "I'd rather die," and the voice says, "Death is irrelevant." So like, there's this idea that like even death is irrelevant to the Borg. Death mm. is irrelevant as a chilling line. Mm-hmm. I'd rather die. Death is irrelevant. Yeah, that doesn't matter. No. <laughs> Fantastic. I like that. Okay. Um, I think we've kind of covered most of what we would uh, want to discuss. The last thing, as usual, soundtrack, Goldsmith. I think it was best, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked it, yeah, definitely. What was it we commented when we watched it? It was a very, that first opening. Uh, score, you know, that was Band of Brothers, definitely. Uh, I don't know if it was just, and of course, Band of Brothers came afterwards, so there's no, it's not like this is. I wonder, and, who, I wonder who did the score for Band of Brothers. Imagine it was Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just don't know, but the thing is, it is a war type film in a lot of ways. You'd I feel be, like we should know that before we just uh, say it, but. Uh, never yeah. do our research. Yeah. Yeah, but it, 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 there was a few moments where I kind of said, oh, there's a hint of this and a hint of that. Um, there was some moments I got a Star Warsy feel to it. Yeah. Um, I think it was the moment with, uh, when they launched the, the sort of the, the first rocket or spaceship. Yeah. Um, there was some. I think it was a kind of a moment of tension, and it it sort of felt like some of the music you hear in maybe The Empire Strikes Back around Hoth or whatever. It yeah. just it was kind of cool. Um, I'd say it was his freshest soundtrack mm-hmm. he's done. Yeah. I think partly part of that was probably because Goldsmith was maybe quite excited by the film. I mean, imagine as a composer sitting down to write music for that. I, I mean, suppose, yeah, like yeah. that, yeah, that first half hour, like bloody hell, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely a lot to to go on. Um, so yeah, I would say we've cover kind of covered the film yeah. more or less. Uh, so I would say so. The rating then. Oh my god, this bit! I always hate this bit. Why? I, like, I always have to go first as well. Um, well, if you want, I'll go first. I don't want. I I don't want to be first or last. Actually, I prefer being first. To be honest. Well, how about we do what Rimmer does when he doesn't want to get killed because he knows that going at front you'll get killed, but also this poor sap at the back gets killed. So he has the the characters sort of like shuffle around, swapping <laughs> positions. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. So I don't know how we'll do that. Where I'll go first, you see yours. I'll go first. And nope, no, nah, it doesn't work. Yeah, we have to say it at the exact same moment. Yeah. Um, do you know? 
if the biggest flaw of the, of the movie is that they added a villain because movies need a villain, then that's not really a flaw. That's just the form of cinema, right? And they did the bloody best they could with it, right? I mean, that's the only thing I think's wrong with it. Uh, and that, that even that's a stretch of trying to find something, do you know what I mean? Um, I think it's a five out of five film. I, I have to say, I, I, I can't give it anything less than five. I don't think... And it's just a strong film that you could sit down and watch again and enjoy. For me, it's a four. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, perfectly enjoyable. And for me, four is a high score still. Like, this is uh, four out of five is a, you know, go see the film, go watch it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. And again, like most of these films, I feel like they will be better on multiple viewings uh-huh. um, because there's more to then take on especially if you've watched the series and there's, there's these are char- you know certain characters and you're just happy to see them on the screen and there's little things you'd notice yeah. so that always plays an element in in the score this is my first time viewing the film as well as second only generation cast yeah film i've seen um but you know I, the first 40 minutes or so really really enjoyed um and then it, i i think i still enjoyed the 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 rest I, I think it's made i couldn't pinpoint exactly where it points my attention faded a little uh-huh. exactly it might be some of the stuff on the planet yeah i have to say that the some of the humor didn't quite hit with me it wasn't bad it wasn't like painful it was just not yeah. as funny yeah you know the sort of character who's we haven't really spoke about him He's obviously meant to be the first, uh, sort of. Did he be the first? He created the rocket, or did he first to travel yep. beyond the solar system or whatever? Yeah, I broke the warp, warp speed. Back yeah, here. but he's you know the joke is the guys are down and out drunk. Yeah. Um. You know, and how can he be this legend that you know years later people will look up to and the statues about him and stuff like that? Yeah. Didn't really. I like the idea of it. It just didn't quite also make me laugh. Some of his scenes. So. Yeah. Um, it's it, that's the thing I think that's kind of where I hit it felt like some great stuff some really good stuff Um, but there was always for me something that could have just been slightly better like that scene we talk, talked about earlier where again I'm looking for my, my aliens moment and it just felt I think the pacing of at that point was actually its hindrance because I wanted to, to slowly yeah. let us kind of sit with these characters the dread was building and let it really simmer yeah. And then give us this that kind of moment, but it was over very fast, and then and you're kind of moving on because the film's just like you know, hit hit you with this next uh, kind of reveal or whatever. So that that's where my my sort of only you know nitpick was come from. I would say, yeah. Overall, well uh, paced film uh, and enjoyable, great scenes. We spoke about the Picard scene mm-hmm. um, with the argument uh, yeah. with Lily, uh, you know brilliant performances from an acting point of view score's been great so and it wasn't didn't overstate its welcome the film it was a you know a very mid 90s uh feeling film as well yeah from a, we've not even spoke about the sort of actual the special effects well they're obviously very very good yeah they've, they, you know i mean what was the shot the, the the way it was shot as well it was such a departure from it was the almost opening shot that you know the uh the flashback uh-huh. and it's kind of his point of view and it, every time it does that actually you know it's representing what he was seeing as like in, in the borg uh-huh. style 
but like you hadn't seen anything like that in the other films. It just yeah. it was kind of a interesting shot. Um, so yeah, uh, I would say overall a great film. But yeah. for me, four stars because there was elements where it could have really, really hit home. But I think that's a personal thing as yeah. well. Well, I th- yeah, I think those are the scores I would expect mm. because yeah, I mean, I've I've got the history of having seen the whole show to this. Whereas you're going in to see it as someone who doesn't know them so well, so it does make so there are parts of it that would mean more to someone who's got the history than someone who's not. Yeah. So it does make sense. Yeah. Um, what's a shame actually is that the next two will probably this is this this is the the final peak really until we hit the 2009 film. So the next couple. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I guess. Well. Okay. Uh. So, I suppose we will leave the rankings part of it. Um, to another episode where we rank the episodes so we won't talk about where this one sits yeah we'll wait we'll leave it I mean it's going to be quite obvious I suppose from the actual rankings we've given them but we'll have a maybe a final podcast where we sum- summarise our thoughts um, and place within a top 10 structure or something like that the films yeah number them I reckon alrighty well that's Star Trek 8 First Contact done dusted watched in the can all those metaphors on the laptop yeah <laughs> uh next film then star trek 9 insurrection yep is it just called is it called star trek insurrection or is it called star trek 9 star trek insurrection uh, yeah, star trek insurrection throwing in the nine helps for context i suppose yeah but um yeah what not shame. this is going to be a bit of a bit it's of a, a good you know i like it but i mean it's not why they chose to do this movie and not something in the vein of First Contact, I will never understand. Right, okay. Think about it, right? First Contact, look at how avant-garde that was for Star Trek. And then suddenly, well, you'll see. Oh, I'm intrigued. You've got my uh, my curiosity peaked now. Yeah, well, don't expect it to last very long <laughs> when you watch the film. I'll be prodding you and Steve, wake up. Oh god, is it? Is it? Is it monotonous? Is it? Uh, is it on the motion picture level of no, slow? Well, no, but it's just. I mean, the the name, the motion picture, is a lie. Nothing moves. But um, yeah, it's the interaction. I wouldn't say anything more about it, but it's just. It's like, imagine you had Terminator Two, and then Terminator Three was like. Well, Terminator Three. Yeah. I would say that. <laughs> okay, well, but imagine Terminator Three was was. Uh, John Connor, Happy Days style, like going through school or something like that, and there was no action at all. Is it a comedy? No, but there's wee bits of comedy in it. But like, just imagine like you went from severe action and wonderful craziness going on to let's all just flop around in fields like a bunch of idiots in the summer and have a great time. All right. Okay then. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. You have to see the film. Basically. Yeah. Or like James Bond basically like does this big massive set piece in a movie and then in the next film he's just sitting about drinking tea in the garden. Yeah, or like it's a rom com <laughs> or something like that. Like there's nothing to do with spies in it at all or any. No action, it's just the romance bit. Alright, well that's so uh that's anybody so... who's seen it will know. Yeah. Know what I mean. Well look forward to our next podcast then. <laughs> it'll be us trying to be like doctors on the podcast trying to get us out of comas that's what it'll be <laughs> okay then that's uh, that's our time up now we're gonna wrap. we're gonna sign off uh, see you next time adwoi cheerio bye bye ciao ciao yep <laughs>
Bye-bye. <laughs>